As I was reading this during the week, I was listening to uh, one of the old school preachers, I think it was Charles Swindle, and he did a, a survey uh, around his community um, when he was doing a study on this book uh, to ask people, um, what does Habakkuk mean to you? He asked. So some of the answers he got will probably explain why this book is a little bit obscure. And uh, one young guy told him that he thought it was a video game, though he had never played it. Um, somebody else, a lady, th- was pretty sure that it was a, a, a village in Vietnam. She had a cook, yeah, so she thought that's what that was. And I think probably one of the... Some, uh, somebody else thought it was a horror film, and though they'd never seen it. And then there was an old guy who gave an answer and said that he thought it was a disease of the lower back. So that'll kind of tell you how obscure it kind of really is. So, um, for me, when I was reading it, I, I kind of thought to myself, you know what, this, there's nothing new under the sun was the first thing that came to my mind when I was reading this book. And also that this literally could be a headline in today's newspaper, what's written in this book. There's really nothing new under the sun. Isn't it amazing, you know, when you're reading scripture? Like this book was written thousands of years ago and I thought like this literally could be a headline in the paper today. Um, so before I get into the text, um, I want to maybe do just a little bit of a background of what the nation of Israel looked like just prior to this time that we're going to read about here. And um, so Habakkuk, uh, first of all, who is he? He's a, he uh, the, the book kind of explains itself in many ways. So he's a prophet, one of the minor prophets. Um, the book is probably uh, obscure because he's probably one of the only prophets that didn't address the people. So the whole book is literally a dialogue between him and God. It's a conversation between him and God. So, as I said, the book explains itself. But prior, anyway, to this, to this time, um, Israel had been under a great revival. There was a great revival that happened in the nation of Israel, and it was under the, the, the reign of King Josiah. So we know that King Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And it says that in his eighth reign, which would have made him 16 years of age, um, he decided to seek God and to follow God wholeheartedly. The, the, the scriptures tell us that he didn't sway to the left or to the right. He, you know, he was just, you know, he was committed to seeking God and following God. So he, under his reign then, he purged the nation of all of the idolatry that was going on in the nation at the time and um, he got rid of all the Asherah poles, all of the stuff that was going on in, in, in that, that, that was causing his stomach to churn if you like. I think he was 20 years old when he started to do that, only a young man. So that kind of speaks to our young people, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter, like you can seek God from an early age and have an effect, you know, in, in, you know even as a young, young man or, or woman. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit from, if I can find it now, I should have it marked here somewhere. I'm going to read a little bit about what else he did. I'm going to read from Second Chronicles, and it's from verses 29 to, I know you haven't got that mal, I didn't ask you to put that one in, but um, it's just, so something else happened. There was a great reform happened in the nation at that time under the, the leadership of Josiah. And he also discovered the covenant that they found in the temple, and this is what he did. It says that then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem. 
the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Um, Then he made everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin, does say Benjamin, yeah, pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God, and as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. So that's what was happening. So it was a great revival that happened in the, in the land, all under his leadership. And the unfortunate thing was Josiah was killed in battle. His son took over as king and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And there were other kings after him and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we're back now to Habakkuk and what the nation looked like during his time. So we'll start off, we'll, start off, um, we, we'll get into the text anyway. So it says, it starts off with Habakkuk's complaint. So from verses 1 to 4 it says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So this nation is in a bad way. Um, the nation is reeking from the top down. You know, it's literally reeking from the top down. You know, and, and the, the, the people of God are living like there is no God. They have boldly and unashamedly just rejected God. And this godly man can't stomach what he's seeing going on in the nation. So if you were to circle two things in those first few verses, there's two questions he asks. How long and why? Um, these are two questions. I believe that these are the, most, the two most asked questions of God. How long and why? They're often asked but seldom answered. Um, and really, I think really what Habakkuk is asking is, where are you, God? Where are you in all of this? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you doing something about this? You know, where are you? Have, have you ever said that to God? You know, have you ever said, where are you, God? And also that, you know, if you're, if you're asking the question, how long? You know, it's usually not been going on for five minutes. Do you know what I mean? When you're asking how long, it's going on a long time. If you look, if you go into the Psalms, many times you'll see those, those questions asked in the Psalms. David often said, how long, O Lord, must I go about mourning? How long must I wake up every morning with sorrow in my heart? Why, God? You know, why and how long? Um, so as I said, this, this nation was in, was in an awful state. Um, God does answer. He doesn't answer the how long or the why. He does answer, but it's not the answer that Habakkuk was expecting. So we'll go back into the, to, to the text now. And so God answers and he says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. 
I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers and they laugh at all fortified cities. They build uh, earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. And Habakkuk's second complaint comes by way of, he says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? So Habakkuk is confused here. Um, so he's saying, what are you going to do? What's your game plan, God? You know, and and uh, So God is basically saying to him, well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Habakkuk says, try me. He tells him, and he can't believe it. <laughs> so it's basically like okay so you're going to you know there's a sleeping giant that's coming through the nation of Israel at the moment and they're the Babylonians their reputation goes before them um, this is a ruthless and godless nation um, you know we think we see godless nations rising up now today but there was nothing like the Babylonians you know they raped their way through cities and pillaged and plundered as they went Apparently what they did was they would pile up the skulls of those that they massacred in shapes of pyramids as they were going through the cities. They were barbaric. And this was the nation that God was using to execute judgment on his people. So, so Habakkuk is in a, he's in a confused state. He's kind of thinking, he's like, how can this be? You know, because he's saying like, your eyes can't look at, you know, how can you use this treacherous nation? I mean, we're bad, but they're worse basically was what he was kind of saying. So he was confused. And he was kind of like, are we not your covenant people, God? We won't die. You know, have we not got an eternal inheritance? No, what, what's, what's going on here? So he was confused. So I think that the next, the next verse when we go into chapter 2 is probably, this next verse I think is the pivot of which the whole book hinges on. So he makes the best decision of his life. So it says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Now this waiting wasn't just a waiting for the answer to fall out of the sky. You know, that's not what he was waiting. You know, it's not just, I'll just wait and see what happens. He positioned himself to watch and wait. He said, I will stand in this tower and watch and wait for the answer that God will give me. Um, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for God to intervene. I'm going to keep watch, over, you know, uh, uh, and, and listen. And I've no doubt he was praying and fasting and waiting and watching for the answer that God was going to give. 
one of the old, old, old saints says it like this. He says, we are seldom more effective in all our lives when we make a determined effort to stop the wrestling and wait. I would say that again, because I thought it was a good point. It's a good point, Bridget. <laughs> we are seldom more effective in all our lives when we make a determined effort to stop the wrestling and wait. And the very next verse says, and then God answered. And then God answered. So God, God, God answers him and he says, write down the revelation and make a plane on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And he goes on then to describe, if you like, the, 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 the Babylonians. He goes on to describe this nation and what they're like. And he, just, he, just, he says, see, he is puffed up his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. And he goes on then to, to, to speak these five woes over this nation. Um, he says, indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers up, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives, uh, all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house, forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed man's blood, and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know, sometimes we need to stand still at sovereign will. You know, stop all the panicking and the flapping. Um, we don't need to inform God about anything. You know, I think sometimes we think we need to tell God what's going on. God knows what's going on. Um, he knows all the answers to all the questions. Um, yeah, so he's basically saying to him, stop flapping. Write this down. I want you to write down the revelation of this. Make it clear, make it plain so that you can run with it. And I think the interpretation of that is, 
that even if you were running with it on a sign that people could see what it says and it also means that you know so people can see it and run so the interpretation kind of varies you know so it mean can mean can mean a lot um, and this vivid description then of, of Babylon but these these five woes you know when God speaks woe over a nation God help it is really all I can say you know when God speaks woe over a nation it's game over you know this nation of Babylon we know through history was levelled and I think it became it became nothing but a, a, a pit stop for archaeologists in the end it was levelled completely nothing there you know and because God said God said it and it was done um, so yeah we need to pray for our nation we need to pray for the government in our nation as well we don't want God speaking more over our nation you know but he says, he says in, 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 uh, in verse, I can't even say four, he says, see he is puffed up. But he said, but the righteous will live by his faith. So this is the way that we are to live. And I think sometimes, you know, when, we, when you say that, you know, when people talk about faith and you kind of think, you know, you know have faith, you know, the, and they, they use that word. And it's like, it's almost like, I think they mean a blind faith. You know, have faith in something, and you know. And it's like... Um, faith where there's no real evidence of God you know what I mean but I don't believe that that's what this is talking about here you know for me I feel my faith is strengthened when I look at the faithfulness of God when I lean on his faithfulness you know God is faithful and that helps me that actually helps me to have faith and I think that you know sometimes I think it's good it's good to look back not all the time but sometimes it's good to look back at the hand of God on your life particularly if you're going through a how long time you know if you're going through a day where you're going through something for a long time sometimes it's good to look back and to see you know what God is faithful God has done something here before for me and and God has moved you know when you've tasted and seen that God is good where else do you go you know where else do you go and I want to read I think Psalm 77 I know there's a lot of scripture in this morning please bear with me no one says it like God right so I think you know I don't want to apologise for for the reading of scripture but in Psalm 77 I think he kind of touches on this a little bit and he says you know I cried out to God for help I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress I sought the Lord at night I stretched out on tiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted I remembered you O God and I groaned, I mused on my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing, I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, and I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his, faith, has his unfading love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And he said, then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. He goes on to talk about this pathway in the sea and he's kind of remembering when God rescued the people of Israel from the the land of Egypt and when he brought them to the... I mean, what must it have been like when they got to the sea and the sea was in front of them you know but God parted the sea for them yeah. and he said and he walked through on dry land yeah. and it says though his footprints weren't seen 
he hadn't, he hadn't gathered his people and you know you know the way a lot of people have that thing about the footprints on the you know the, you know, the, the, the thing you know where you're kind of thinking where are you Lord you know when you're asking them questions where are you Lord I can't see your footprints you know where's the other set of footprints I can only see me own he says no it's not yours you're saying it's mine I'm carrying you I'm actually carrying you at those times, you know, like God is faithful, you know, and even in times when we can't see it, you know, we sing the songs, even when I can't see it, you're working, even when I can't feel it, you're working. Do you really believe that? You know, do you actually believe that God is faithful when you can't feel it or see it? Or are you in the middle of the how long? Oh Lord, why? You know, and, you know, because they're very real, you know, they're very real, those times. And as I said, sometimes it's good to look back and see the hand of God you know at the end of this that the, at the end of that chapter in Habakkuk it says you know God is talking about being in his holy temple he's not talking about the physical temple and he's not even talking about our hearts where he reigns now you know the God has a throne in heaven it's a heavenly throne that he's seated upon we sang it this morning where he rules and reigns from and basically what he's saying in the end of this chapter is shut up I'm in control that's basically what he's saying. Shut up. I'm in control here. You know what I mean? I'm ruling and reigning from my throne. Um, we're on the last verse, the last chapter. And all of a sudden in chapter 3, there's a shift. There's a shift in this chapter. And apparently that this chapter was sung. It was a song. And it was supposed to be sung. There's a, there's a word here. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. It's at the beginning of the chapter, and then it says on Shagayanath. How do you say that? Shagayanath. How do you say? It? But anyway, I don't know how you say it, and there's not a, there's not really a great interpretation of it because it's very, it's hard to interpret apparently. But it's a musical term, and I think it's like an overture. It's kind of like the Hallelujah chorus, basically, was what he's going into. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, his shift changes. He's not, all of a sudden he's not looking at what's going on in the nation. His focus changes, and all of a sudden his, his focus is upwards. You know, and, and he's starting to talk then. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. All of a sudden he's looking at God. You know, he's looking at what's going on in the heavens. He's looking upwards, this upward glance. You know, this upward focus, it's not a denial of what's going on. You know, in the nation, he knows the wrath of God is coming on the nation. He knows that this na- the nation is going to be purged by the Babylonians. But, but all of a sudden, you know, his he, shift is changing. You know, and, and he says, you know, he's talking about, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. He says, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. <coughs> And for me, like, we know what's coming down the road as well. You know, like we could stand up here and preach all nice things forever, every week, if you like, but we know what's coming down the road. This world is not going to get any better. It just isn't, because this book says it's not going to. You know what I mean? And we, you can be, we can be living in a time where we can pretend that it's all going to be great, and all, but it's not. The world is not going to get any better. Are you fearful for what's coming down the line? You know, I mean, Habakkuk was fearful. You know, we'll we, we go into that a little bit in chapter 3. He was afraid. He knew that because God said it, it was going to happen. You know, the, 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 these, he, they were going to be purged. They were going to be taken into captivity. He, you know, God says to him, you will be taken into captivity. You will be purged, but I will purge the nation that purges you. You know what I mean? He was, he was kind of saying this. It is going to happen. And all of a sudden then, 
Habakkuk is saying, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And for me, I want to make that my prayer. You know, Lord, we know what's coming down the road. We know that there's, you're, you're, you're preparing yourself to come back. You know, the Lord is, is, is getting, you know, we know we're looking at what's happening in the nations around us. You know, and I, my, my prayer is, Lord, have mercy on my family that don't know you. Lord, have mercy on those that are lost. Lord, have mercy on the addicted and afflicted. You know, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord. As, as, as you're getting ready to come back and as this world starts spiralling out of control, which it already is, Lord, will you have mercy? Will you have mercy on those that don't know you? That needs to be our prayer. It needs, and it's urgent. It needs to be urgent. Lord, have mercy. Um, just to finish, to finish off, the, this book begins with a sob and it ends with a song. And, you know, I love the fact that we were singing Blessed Be the, Lord, the Name of the Lord this morning. And I'm kind of thinking, you know, the end of this book, it says, it says, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. This is the fear of what's coming down the road from Habakkuk. And he says, my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And he goes on then to say, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You know, blessed be the Lord in the landmark with suffering. You know what I mean? Like, what if God takes it all away today? You know, would, would we be able to echo that? Would you be able to say, though, it all falls apart and there's nothing in my fridge when I go home? And, you know, like, there's, there's people that that's happened to, you know, that it's literally happened to. Would, would you be able to say, yes, I will rejoice in the Lord? You know, and see Lorraine quivering down there, she's saying, no. I'm not giving up your house for no one. <laughs> but you know yourself. Um, yeah. But there's three, three lasting lessons, I think, from, from, that I got anyway from this book. And the first one is that, you know, the bottom line, I think, of faith is not having all our doubts and our fears relieved. I think that the bottom line of faith is being absolutely sure of God. <coughs> absolutely sure of God, because he is faithful. Um, God is okay with all our questions though he answers but a few he's okay with our questions and you know God doesn't do things always by way of us understanding you know to do with our understanding or on our schedule or on our schedule you know like God is sovereign Um, and the last the last um, lesson I think last lesson anyway that I got from this book was that God is in control get your heads up you know, God is in control. Everything will tell you to focus on man. But the right understanding about God, the right thinking about God, will bring a right understanding about man, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. You know, God is sovereign. God is in control. <coughs> and that's the book of Habakkuk. <laughs>